Welcome everyone and thank you so very much for joining us today on another episode of Talking Cloud. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Patrick. How are you, man? Good, good, buddy. How are you doing? Good. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here. Super excited. Let's kick it off with some news because I got a couple of pretty... I think interesting stories, so let's get started. First, first, into the newsroom. I saw this and I thought, well, you know, Patrick, about a month ago, the federal government was sending out warnings to agriculture companies be on the lookout. Wow. Mm -hmm. And they were specifically citing the fact that it was corresponding with planting season and, you know, very strategic. Well, yes. Agco got hit and they've uh, confirmed it. But it, what I find fascinating is how this world has changed. And now any company where before, you know, you, you had to have a building to have an arsonist burn you down. Right. Yeah. You had to have a retail storefront for somebody to, you know, vandalize and spray paint on your windows. That's right. A bank to rob. Right. 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 It's different now. You have to just have money. Yeah. And if you have enough money, you know, there are those that will learn about what you do. Right. To your point, to be strategic, to yep. to find the right time to strike. I mean, it's 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 scary how sophisticated they're becoming. And you and I have talked about this in, in other contexts before. Right. How, you know, how, how how agile and infinitely scalable the cloud tools are for us and, and, and how appealing that is. They're also that for for bad actors. Right. And boy, they're getting exactly. sophisticated. Exactly. It's it's like a gun. You know, yeah. gun right. can keep me fed and help me stay alive when I'm out in the woods, but it also can be used for malicious activity. Same thing. That's right. Yeah, so here it is. Just last month, the FBI issued a warning to agricultural cooperatives about the danger ransomware gangs might target the food and agricultural sector during critical planting and harvesting seasons there it is sounds pretty it's amazing. pretty specific isn't it sounds like yeah sounds like they had some and they called there it and they sure. were right and yeah people yeah. still are getting nailed here's the yes. other one that i just thought was kudos to the ukrainians ddos attack by hacktivists targeting russia's alcohol supply chain so they really <laughs> oh, wow. i mean could you imagine messing with their vodka? No kidding. Get them at the so heart. Truly, <laughs> DDoS attack made it so that the portal used was unaccessible. And so literally, it broke the supply chain. People couldn't order. People couldn't receive. It was really wow. pretty amazing. So that, that took some insider knowledge too around not implying that it's necessarily insider but took some pretty decent knowledge about the you know how the wholesale kind of distribution system works and where to target so that's uh yep. yeah that's it's another example of sophistication for sure and and i like the hacktivist link you know that's uh yeah. that's interesting too 
Yeah, but right here it is. Due to large-scale failure, factories can accept tanks with alcohol. Customers, stores, and distributors cannot receive finished products that have already yeah. been delivered to them. Big problem. Big problem, yeah. Big problem. So okay. that's my news stories. Let me get out of the newsroom. Sure, I'll, I'll hop in. Send it to um, you. And, and mine, uh, mine starts with some news that I think started a little bit before last week around a breach at everyone's favorite platform as a service provider, Heroku, who is now, uh, who, you know, is a Salesforce company now. Um, I think what was originally thought as sort of a, a simple credential leak or breach, I'm not sure, seems to now be understood as an OAuth token um, breach, right? Where a bad actor was able to, using some metadata, metadata was able to link those tokens to, I think, Heroku accounts. So, so wow. I think the the rub and the tug here is that uh, all of those um, OAuth tokens have been expired. Uh, all of the user account passwords have been forced to reset. And uh, I don't think we know who's responsible yet. So that's still TBD. But, mm. you know, pretty, pretty big deal for a, a a cloudy, you know, platform as a service provider for sure. Um, yep. You know. Wow. Uh, yeah, I sort of, I don't know. Um, just about every application, even a lot of cloud security applications, you know, that's kind of our domain, offer that, right? Author that OAuth kind of ability to authenticate, right? Using your your, your Google account, for example. And that's, yeah. uh, it's interesting. You know, I don't, I don't know if that will have, this will have a negative or a positive effect on the perspective of offering that kind of integration or not. I guess it depends on the details, what we learn, right? I'm always reluctant, quite frankly, to chain all of my logins to my Google account, or I, I don't know, I'm just always reluctant you. to have it all loaded up, all my eggs in one basket. A lot of dependence in in, in one basket, where th that identity itself is sort of managed in the cloud. I hear you, right. you know. And and one hand, it's sort of a best practice because then I only have one set of credentials. I can make sure I rotate them well. I'm not writing passwords on the backhand of you know of, of post-it notes. On the other hand, yep. to your point, a lot of dependence. Yeah, that's and a that's good a point. that's a great segue into into sort of the next thing I want to talk about. And and look, this is. Full disclosure: You and I have been working in this domain here for for a while now, but yep. you know, um, I think just as we're starting to get a handle on securing people, <laughs> we have this proliferation of non-people identities in the cloud. Right, every single resource, because they're at arm's length, sort of necessarily, every single resource, even a route in a route table. Yep. has a name has an identity has a way yep. to refer to it in in uh in, in policy at a very very right. fine grain level right and so when you even when publishing a very basic application that's got a web tier an app tier maybe a database very very small it'll have thousands of identities in it hmm. and the other and so thing you know how do we how do we manage that well and this i think is a perfect example of which there are many, where we've spent 10, 20, more than years operating in a certain mode with a certain 
perimeter of concerns, so to speak, right? I mean, things that are Very within your terminology. Yes, that you yeah. got to configure mm-hmm. and control. And then mm-hmm. there's other stuff that you don't have to worry about, like servers don't have identities in your data center other than the name you gave them, right? That's right. Never mind single routes. That's right. Exactly. And so now all of a sudden we're in this world where for the last 20 years I've learned how to secure my environment, worried about and focused on these things. Right. And now there's something that you've never considered that's pretty critical to the way cloud operates and moving forward, right? For sure. You know, and if if you're following any of the best practice, you know, micro-segmenting your apps, for example, if you're still building big monolithic apps in the cloud, all you've really done is sort of migrate your infrastructure, this problem will be less for you. It's, don't, don't kid yourself, it's still a problem. But if you're truly building you know, micro-segmented apps that have independent function, functions such that you don't necessarily have to, you know, build, take it all down when you have to maintain it. If you're following those sort of cloudy best practices, you are going to have so many identities. And it's important to know how you manage them, where you manage them. You know, if those identities have to do with S3, for example, there's three different ways to manage permissions, uh, you know, mm-hmm. via S3. And you have to know how conflicting rules coming from two or three of those ways, you know, how they get resolved. Is it sort of least privilege or, or, or not, right? On the, on the security group side, it's different than on the identity side. So you have to know uh, on AWS, for example. So you have to know these rules and it's almost impossible. I think that's, that's mm. why, especially those, I think those organizations who are sort of cloud first and have made that choice to use the cloud strategically, they, they do use third-party tools because it's, especially if they use more than one platform. We've talked about that so many times, but yeah. it's hard, you know. Um, and the scale. I remember, yeah, I remember pointing a, a I won't say which one, but a, a, a really popular CSPM at a very small lab that had five EC2 instances, you know, some public, some private, one VPC, one internet gateway, and there were over 3,000 identities in that small lab. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, you manage a lot of them with blankets, right, in a, in a group way, but make sure you're at least doing that. Make sure you're aware that everything carries an identity. Maybe your CSP, you know, has, has, has given you some really great default security, but in some cases, they haven't necessarily. Just right. due to flexibility, due to what we ask them to do, right? I mean, yeah. security groups are a really good, a really good example of that. There's a default one in every region, and it's super permissive. And you know, if you if you make that mistake and you sign something private to it, it it's 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 a giant mistake. So be careful. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And there's look, we've learned to take shortcuts, right? Copy paste. Yes. yes. And the consequences of copying and pasting an element an item, something up in the cloud could be much more impactful than maybe you're seeing on the surface based on the identities that are provisioned on the back end. That's right. That's right. And, and, and very specifically, we're talking about infrastructure as a service platforms, right? If you're using your Dropbox your, or your OneDrive, yes, very cloudy, but you know, in, in, in a very sort of direct way, when you're building infrastructure in that sort of more generic application-driven sort of way on, on an infrastructure as a service provider, that's where this really, you know, it, right. it, it runs rampant for sure. 
and hey, we like to keep things in the family. So there's a there's a nice quote here from uh, a past Talking Cloud guest and Eric Kedrowski of of Sunray, and you know they That's they deal right. with this problem uh, among many for sure, right? Of of identities and and how they map to uh, services, data stores, really everything. Yep. It's going to be a big issue. I mean, identity in the cloud is unlike anything we've ever contended or dealt with in the traditional on-premise environments, right? That's right. We're going to carry all those old assumptions, and they're just they're, they really do fall apart. Identity is is the best example of that. Like you say, where you know it's orders of magnitude, not just larger but more complex. I mean, those policies get down to. You know, you, you you defined who can do exactly what, and you can you can you use big blankets and asterisks all over the place. But of course, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build, you know, various distinct policies for every job function yep. in terms of the human. It's the same thing on your app. Very distinct yep. policies. You know, uh, an app tier should be able to talk to your database, but no other tier of your app should. Right, and so yep. those pol- don't don't use one policy for all the different parts of your app. It's so tempting, and. By default, you know, we have some pretty pretty broad policies, but but spend that time for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, this has been fun. Thanks. I always like covering the news with you, Patrick. Interesting stuff Indeed. going on. And, uh, boy, sorry, Rasha, for having a trouble getting to your alcohol. <laughs> That's right. But that'll That's teach right. you. That'll That's teach right. you. Sorry, not well, sorry. Well, hey, let's go find out who our guest is this week. Let's do it. Hey, Patrick. Excited to find out who our guest is today. Very much so. Who do we have, Grant? So we've got someone who's literally famous. I'm going to let him talk about it. His name is Chuck Brooks. You know, he got started with Voice of America, appointed uh, by President Reagan, and then actually was an aide for Arlen Specter and has been in cybersecurity for a long time. He's an author, writer, and we're going to have him come into the program right now. So let's have Chuck come in. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Chuck, thank you uh, very much for being on the program today. Really excited to have you. I want you to meet uh, my co-host, uh, Patrick Pusher. Uh, Patrick's definitely um, long in the tooth, as they say, in cloud, cloud native, but certainly cybersecurity as well. And, uh, you know, I was just telling him before you came onto the program, you started, I think, appointed by Reagan, right? And then, yes, then yeah, you were uh, yeah. Arlen Specter's aide for several years, right? Almost a decade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really got immersed in government at an early age. Boy, you know, but that's a remarkable insight because I think that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it certainly appears that you got some early polish that enabled you to navigate in some waters that, I mean, people only dream of navigating. You're, you're exactly right because you're expected when you're on the hill and in those positions to, to know where to go, where the experts are, know how to speak to a group, yeah. uh, know how to you know research, all that stuff immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you're thrown into it. Yeah. And it was before social media, too, so you really had to do a lot of uh, your own research and, 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 and gumshoe there. But yeah. that was a, 
Different worlds. Well, and I'm curious. It had to have made a difference with someone as senior and well known on the Hill as Arlen Specter. I mean, he, he, let's face it, man. I mean, that was someone that, you know, he could say, come with me and take you through a cu- shortcut that you're not supposed to go. But if you're with him, it's okay. He, he you know did that I mean? all the time with hideaways. And yep. my second day there, he goes, I want to introduce legislation tomorrow. Uh, have it ready for me on the Senate floor. And uh, I think it was direct flights or something from Russia at the time. It was something weird. So I had to do that. And I call. I, th- I found Richard Pearl, who's a... Uh, you know, was an expert on it. <laughs> Drafted the legislation, but he really, he really uh, was demanding. He was a law school professor, so he uh, he insisted that you know you you know your stuff and you be confident in what you're doing. So, and he did show you stuff that you'd never see before. Yeah, he was a workaholic. Yeah, you know, six o'clock in the morning till nine at night. It was just typical of his days. Go go go, huh? Yeah, and he liked to get in the middle of everything too. You know, like to take the you know the. You know, be the guy that would be the deciding vote. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that, I guess, uh, kind of put him on point, you on point on knowing the details, right? To really know. Oh, the yeah. Answers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a great training for me. I mean, it made everything else easier, you know, in my career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. That's, that's, it, it, it appears that way. So, Talk a little bit about, I mean, gosh, all, it seems like every time I turn around, Chuck, on LinkedIn, uh, you're getting some top 100, number two most influential, you know, I mean, there's quite a bit of recognition you get. How do you, A, uh, continue to stay relevant and get that recognition? Where's that come from? Or is this just a snowball that's, you know, you know, building? It, it really is just uh, a lot of work. I, I write a lot. You know, I write for Forbes. I write for GovCon, you know, yeah. and, and, and everything, uh, Barron's, all kinds of publications. You've, so been constantly- along, you've been writing a long time. That's the other thread, I think, that seemed to be the longest <laughs> I saw in yeah. your resume, yeah. that you've been active in – uh, uh, penning your opinion and thoughts and and kind of predictions for a long time. Yeah, now, I've been doing this for a lot of. Com- I mean, AT and T, I write their predictions every year, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a few others. Uh, you know, IBM, Intel, uh, and others. You know, some of the influence type stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, the problem is, I think when, when media always calls on me, I always answer, <laughs> and so they call and call and keep calling on me. So I'm always in the news. You know. So it's just what it is. It's just uh, I, I end up spending more time doing staying up late night writing this stuff. Yeah. I also doing a lot of speeches, you know, yeah. global speeches, and yeah. particularly with the COVID stuff. In the last couple of years, it's been really sort of prolific with uh, you know doing virtual conferences all over the world, from Sweden to Dubai, yeah, um, India, everything. So it's so it's really been a. That's why I get I get the, the recognition because I'm I'm seeing my name is everywhere, <clears throat> and then and I have eighty something thousand followers on LinkedIn, which they. And I often share my stuff, so it goes and you everywhere. All, and, 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 you know, each one personally, I'm sure, would pick them out in a crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find them all over. I can't even do that with some of my neighbors, let alone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Um, people want to follow you, and I think that's terrific, right? I mean, uh, to... to the value of social media, right? You know, sharing your opinion. It's, it's where it's at, for sure. So... 
Uh, Patrick, I'm just you're you're sitting there taking it all in. I'm gonna pause and let you ask well, Mr. Brooks maybe some if, questions. If I'm being honest, as I was listening to you talk about sort of the let's let's say how how much easier it is for us to scale virtually in these COVID times, right when you don't have to travel. The other phenomenon I think you know certainly in security we observe was a lot of push to. A cloud to utility kind of services almost necessarily, right? Some of us had to scale down. Some of us had to scale up to meet kind of online digital demand. And so I'm curious, Chuck, sort of as you sat back with all your experience, you know, did, did you see the same thing? And then what are the implications for security and all that quick moving? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It, it really is quick moving. I mean, I just read a thing where Gartner said they were going to spend $484 billion on cloud Adoption this year, yes, mm. up from three fourteen last year, three hundred fourteen billion. Mm. So it shows. I mean, that's that's almost uh, you know exponentially greater. It shows that the wide adoption uh, from COVID and remote work, obviously, because when you when you do that, the cloud became uh, integral to all. That's right. But I think it's also because of of uh, the security aspects of it and, and the storage aspects of it. Now we're we're adding on Internet of Things, mm-hmm. so much data and, and devices that it's almost impossible to do it on prem. And the cloud has become indispensable, and so I, th- I think you're seeing a huge sort of paradigm shift, you know, the public, the hybrid, private clouds, shared clouds, and uh, you know, there's everything is in there. You know, software as a service, infrastructure as a service. So you're really, you're really sort of like you said, scaling to, to the user, and particularly to businesses, medium and small businesses who don't have the luxury of having security built in or in-house expertise. They have to rely on, on their, their cloud provider, and I think a lot of the reasons that it's going so quickly is because they, they have no other choice because yeah. right. education and the number of attacks are growing, and, and they can't do it alone. You know, Patrick, we talked about this, I think, on an uh, earlier program. $33 billion is the estimated spend on cloud security in 2022, Compound annual growth rate for the next seven years, 18.1%, Chuck. It's unbelievable. But I think that that is uh, supporting, you know, your earlier comments about the growth of and the move to the cloud in general. Cybersecurity has never been more relevant and top of mind, it seems, than today. I mean, we're getting uh, daily reports from our own government that, hey, we got to keep an eye out for agricultural, Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, uh, critical infrastructure, you know, all of this. It's in the news every night. Uh, It's different today. Yeah, I think that, that most of us are finally waking up. There's a greater awareness of the real threat. You know, we're in a digital world. We've, we've transformed in the last few years in a bigger way than we ever thought we would. And we're going to get transformed more and more. Everything's going to be connected. Yep. Uh, everything you do, uh, whether it's education, whether it's our, our finance, health. So uh, we're all vulnerable, too. So uh, and, and the bad guys know that. And there's a lot of targets. So it's going to get worse. I mean, ransomware uh, is, is, is really... Not new, but it's being used in more and more because they get paid mm-hmm. on the cryptocurrency. Yep. And uh, a lot of attacks there, uh, distributed denial of service attacks too with botnets, just commonplace. So I think that, you know, uh, 
you know, we have to live with this world. You know, it's like we have to live with COVID and the virus and have to adapt to it, but you have to protect yourself. Yeah. You know, get your vaccinations, whatever you need to do if you believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, or stay away from people. But, um, you know, in, in cybersecurity, we have to do the same thing, but we have to look at, at how to optimize it first. And, and why, that's why the cloud is so valuable because, you know, you can optimize your, your, your storage of your data, what you secure, what you share, uh, who you have manage it. All those kind of things are really beneficial to businesses and to individuals. And uh, it's going that way now towards government, too. I mean, you know, there's going to be every transaction is going to be done on the cloud uh, eventually. Um, so, you know, and if we move to the edge, you know, we, we're, we're still going to be dependent on the cloud even more. Yeah. Uh, still need to store that data. Still need to protect that data. And, uh, and that's not going to change. It's going to just grow in, 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 in requirements. You know, it's an interesting comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts because this is one of the things that I really think has happened. You know, the bad guys, we're, we're forever going to have the, um, you know, good and bad, right? So, so, you know, that we accept. It seems like, it feels like uh, they've been ahead of us. And, and what I specifically mean is, their understanding of the hyper-connected world we're in, yet our architecture and how we're protecting is still kind of siloed. And, and they're beating us because they know my supercomputer, wherever it is, you know, the one I carry around is connected to all the same things that my laptop is connected to, right? So Most importantly, my identity. Boy, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's just this whole notion that they seem to have understood and orchestrated uh, more threats that exploit this interconnected world we live in uh, m m better than we've effectively blanketed and protected it holistically. Does that make sense? Oh. I think you're absolutely right. I think there are some factors for that. I went, one of the things I think is that for so many years, industry sort of passed it off and will pass it on to the consumer. Oh, yeah, we'll get hacked. We'll lose this stuff. But, you know, what? Will, will you pay for it? Yeah. Now they realize that it's just too high a stakes game. They can go out of business. Half of small businesses do that. A reputation, you know, with the Colonial Pipeline, et cetera, you know, and, and now yeah. critical infrastructure. We're so dependent now. And the activities of the, the people you just mentioned are much more sophisticated. They're using artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be using 5G. Uh, they're organized gangs. They've switched from the brick and mortar to the digital. Uh, so they have backing. They have their own banks. Yeah. In a lot of cases, including with, with uh, Russia, they're, they're supported by the state apparatus and, of course, China, too. Yeah. You'll see that with even North Korea. You know, a uh, huge amount of their, their uh, basically revenues to operate the country are taken through, through uh, you know, cyber attacks. So yeah. uh, I think – and then you, you could name the four culprits. I mean, it's really pretty much China, Russia – North Korea and Iran are, right. are, are the worst for them. But then you put all the, the, the criminal gangs who are doing it for profit and money, which is still a, a big motivation for anyone involved in crime. And so, you know, it's, it's getting worse. But I think, you said, as you said, I think there's awareness now that, you know, we, we just can't, it can't be business as usual. I think you're seeing elevation of a lot of CISOs now to the C-suite. Security is not looked at as a cost item so much anymore. It's looking at as someone you need to have for your reputation to be, good and your operations mm -hmm. to proceed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's a trend, I think, um, maybe it's a requirement now where, I mean, literally publicly traded companies have to have that 
expertise in the boardroom, similarly to when Sarbanes-Oxley came out and it kind of forced, you know, you got to get an accountant or somebody that understands finance right. uh, in the boardroom. We're there now from a cybersecurity perspective now more than ever, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. There's new disclosure laws for the SEC. You have GDPR in Europe for privacy yep. <laughs> issues, and you have the CMMC stuff going on in, in federal government, which is starting to, to go where you have to have qualifications in cybersecurity hygiene and awareness to get to be a vendor. Right. So I think there's definitely a movement in that direction, and the regulatory issues are, are important for companies too. I mean, they have to be compliant. They have to have the expertise to understand it. But it's not just being compliant, it's being compliant for the right reasons, particularly when you look at now the zero trust uh, initiatives coming out of, a, of government. It's, 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 for, it's to, to stay safe, to keep, keep everything in the critical infrastructure operating and not being uh, corrupted or, or taken down. So there's really importance. This is a security issue, national security issue. I'm really interested, Chuck, in your um, opinion or perspective on you know the intersection of all that you just talked about, the increasing risk, but then also the increasing um, appetite of even the public sector to leverage, you know, utility computing. Because certainly, you know, if we think back to the origins of, if we think about AWS as the first kind of monster public computing provider, right? There there was a lag when we think about regulated industry. Let's, let's use that umbrellas, right? Uh, acceptance of it. It's fast moving. It's harder to contain. So when I think about you know, the, the, the truth you just outlined about the increased risk, but then also the increased risk of adopting new infrastructure that you don't quite understand yet, right? Is this making the public sector think twice about these plans? I mean, they're almost on this trajectory that I expect they probably can't stop. So it's probably just really, really worrying them, right? Well, it, you're right. I mean, it's worrying them. But you know what? They've been trying to get rid of legacy systems for the past 30 years. For sure. And and, and they're very uh, slow at doing it. There's a lot of reasons. It's part of it's the procurement process itself. And, you know, you have it's, it's stagnant. And if you're in there winning a, a contract and running a legacy system, you don't want to lose it. Yeah. So you're not. there's no incentive for you to, 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 to upgrade. Uh, but regardless of that, I mean, I, the, the, certainly parts of DOD have been using, you know, AWS and Microsoft and Google and other other big providers because they have to. They recognize the, the importance of, of being able to safely communicate the information and store it and share it and collaborate. And all those functions are critical for government. And so Without eventually they're going to... cycle even, right? I mean, it, just, yeah. just getting rid of that. But then, you know, I guess part of my point is sometimes the unforeseen consequence of doing that means great, I have no procurement cycle, but it means I take my idea from concept to something exploitable in days. Right, where, secu- yes. where we know security lags, yet for them, yeah. can't, right? So there must be a lot of discipline. Obviously, there's a lot of regulation around process, but even from mindset, there just must be a lot of discipline around moving too fast. There is a lot of discipline, but there's also a lot of need for innovation. And I think we found that Good out, point. particularly with artificial intelligence, uh, where we saw our adversaries spending a lot more money than we are uh, in the government mm. side uh, and, and getting advances, because we have to realize you have to look like just like DARPA does, you have to look ahead. And you have to plan ahead. And I think a lot of the the military uh, agencies, particularly, were caught flat-footed, and you know, with supply chain issues, all kinds sure. of things. And so, I think the zero trust really initiative is a response. The fact is that you know what we we can't stop this. We need to start over and look at everything from a, a, a clear slate. You know, let's let's at least get identity management in there first. You know, let's know it's in our inventory. 
and and then we'll then we'll start a restart again. And I think you can easily do that more with the cloud. Once you do this, you you understand what's connected to your networks and and what vulnerabilities you have and gaps. It's much easier to adapt to the cloud and, and scale it to the cloud. So I think you're right. I mean, it's been slow, and there's lack of expertise in government. There's lack of expertise in the private sector too. It's sure. cybersecurity. It's just a dearth of, of qualified people out there. And, you know, unfortunately, that's the real world. So we're relying a lot on automation. But uh, um, And then we have quantum computing sitting down, uh, you know, a few years down the road, too. So a lot is happening, and it's just happening faster than I thought anyone would, ha- it would happen. So you're right. You know, we, we were probably not prepared to move like we should. And there are problems we're going to have. We're going to stumble on ourselves, but we have no choice. Yeah, we, we often bash on zero trust, but you're right. It is an attempt to say, Use whatever infrastructure you want in whatever way you want, but you know here's here's the overarching guideline that you sort of must follow. And and for that, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's really a strategy. It's not a solution. Yes, it's just like take a look what you have. That's right. What you need, you That's know. Right. And most 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 places don't follow risk management. They just don't bother, you know. And and, and this forces them to do it because otherwise they they don't get their funding. I I look at it sort of like you know. Uh, this crowd will understand this uh, analogy. Shaking the etch sketch, right? It, 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 it's cleaning the slate. You said it, starting over, right? That's one of, the, I think, fundamental uh, keys to putting together effective zero trust. It, you, you can't bolt it on to the ball of aluminum foil you already have. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that just doesn't work, does it? That's right. It no, you just bring more vulnerabilities that you didn't expect, and uh, you make it more complicated, and, you know, it really should be more simplicity rather than complexity uh, for cybersecurity because all this orchestration of all these various, you know, platforms, tools, and stuff, it just creates havoc, and it creates opportunities, you know, and you don't know what's in your system. We found out with solar winds. We didn't. They were there for over a year. Who knows? Who else? You know, where else are they? So yeah, right. I think that's why zero trust is really. You know, it is an overused term, but I think it's just necessary. You know, we just need to to look at things at a fresh start. We didn't build the internet for security, and we got to look at a new way. You know, security by design. You hear it going on. I I've said uh, as an analogy for for a long time. You know. We started out on this journey going to Woodstock. Little did we know we were going to expect an opera, right? I, I mean, it's like so true. We we want it was hey anybody connect free love, and now all of a sudden every company's backbone uh, organization relies on this environment. That's, That's right. the dichotomy that we were trying to wrestle uh, and. It is interesting, um, the journey we started and where we're actually at and, and how we've been trying to wrestle this octopus for, it seems, many years. Yeah, I love your analogy with Woodstock, too, and I'm just thinking I'm a big Who fan. I've seen them many times, and, and they took the, that, that Woodstock odyssey and they brought Tommy afterwards, an opera. So maybe you, you, you take what you have and you bring it to the opera level and you still keep steep your rock and roll there with you, too. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've actually, you know, used uh, DOS Mac 
you know, in the same analogy, if you look at, you know, in the very early days, anybody could do anything with a batch file. And, you know, I mean, you could just go to town and and and, and rip it down, tear it up, do whatever you wanted. You had to sign a contract stating you would agree to adhering to the user interface guidelines if you're going to develop for a Macintosh. That was a big hullabaloo in the very early, like early 80s, when he was soliciting uh, developers for for the machine. And, and that it epitomizes Woodstock, park anywhere you want, free love, do anything anywhere versus, can I see your ticket stub? No, (laughs) you don't have a tie on. No, no, right? I mean, it's just so uh, remarkably uh, accurate in terms of just kind of understanding holistically the the differences in the worlds, the environments. Now you need the cross-functional developers, too, so that's the... You know, they could fly from both worlds, uh, you know, so that's still the analogy works. It continues to work. <laughs> Perfect. Well, this has been really a lot of fun, Chuck. Um, any predictions or mm. things that you're forecasting kind of, I mean, I've heard you mention it multiple times. I think you and I both subscribe to the notion that this paradigm, if you want to call it that, uh, cloud, this model it's going to prevail for a while. I mean, this is we're on this one for a while because it just makes so much sense. It's like just plug in, right? But where's Absolutely. it going? What I mean, you've already talked about how everything's going to be connected. What do you foresee in the next few years with uh, Web 3.0 or whatever they're calling it, industrialization 4.0, yeah. all these enumerations? Yeah. I really see artificial intelligence as, as uh, filling a, a, some of this vacuum. Um, there's capabilities are growing in that, or if you want to call it artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah. But we're advancing really rapidly on it, and I think that's going to change uh, how cloud operates, how everything operates with cybersecurity, yeah. and how, our, how we automate our defenses, how we mm-hmm. how we communicate. So I think you'll see that. Also, what's interesting when I'm watching now is that, is our interdependency now on, on satellites uh, for communication and the fact that in this recent conflict with Ukraine and, and uh, Russia, uh, Ukraine satellite became a target. So we're, we're, we have to look at that that uh, uh, ecosphere too. Brand new uh, vectors. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's, an, it's you know we, we can't take anything for granted. And I think that you know the the the, the adage that everything is a target in cyber, everything really is. And so we're going to really have to fortify every aspect of it. And, and there's no other way but the cloud to do that. Yeah. And, and and also, you know, with satellite, the relay stations, the satellites themselves, et cetera. And then, you know, eventually when we get there, if, if it's real, and I'm hoping it is, you know, we'll have the, the quantum encryption capabilities and communication that hopefully will better protect us all. But until until it happens, we have to still rely on our own uh, algorithms and ingenuity to do what we can. Did I hear correctly? I don't know if you heard this story, but I heard where uh, one of the satellites, uh, their own, Russia targeted intentionally to create a bunch of space junk, which can be highly um, detrimental, let's say, uh, uh, because it's just free, freely 
spinning around and when it hits something you know we've all seen the the hollywood movies those are real man i mean that's it, it's real and they have and the chinese have also demonstrated capability to attack satellites yeah we have not uh there's a treaty that we're not supposed to do that but no one's enforcing it hmm. and uh you know i think years and years ago there was a concept called brilliant pebbles where you'd actually launch stuff from satellites to take other satellites uh during the sdi uh, uh era but, uh, you know, I think it's going to go that way. We're go- where the next, you know, uh, warfare area is going to be space. And, you know, we're, we're moving in that direction. So it's scary. It really is scary. And, you know, again, we just can't take anything for granted. And, and now we have at least a, a space force. <laughs> so I think probably part of the reason that was created was because it was recent. But the debris up there and all that stuff right there is a hazard itself. You know, I, I was – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Patrick. What I was going to say, I mean, how long is it going to be until Amazon or any of the cloud providers will sell us space on a satellite, satellite as a service, right? I mean, industrially, Absolutely. it already happens. But, you know, commercially, I'm expecting that to happen, you know, in the not too distant future either. So on one hand, you think a space force sounds almost not, I'm sure you don't agree with this, Chuck, with your perspective, but from our, our layman's perspective, sort of premature. But on the other hand, you go, we're right at the cusp of a new frontier, right? Yeah. Uh, it is a new frontier, I and mean, you saw what uh, SpaceX is doing, you know, ready for uh, That's right. Ukraine. I mean, that was put up immediately. So the capability is there, and evidently they also uh, thwarted an electromagnetic magnetic attack or something. I, I don't know the details so much of that, but I just read about it. So, wow. yeah, it's already happening. It is already happening. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think um, just the, the fact that... Um, you know, this whole world's playing out with communications that are always connected 24-7, and that's that satellite world, and it's high band. I mean, we're not talking about sucking a milkshake through a coffee straw, you know. I mean, we're talking, you know, and now we get into this whole 5G thing, and, you know, and you, you mentioned it earlier, EDGE. Moore's yep. Law's not abating. Moore's Law's not sl- slowing down. It's still on no. the same trajectory. Yeah. And so when you combine that with this ability to download an HD movie in seconds, the fact that I'm connected with my supercomputer 24-7, 365, yes. everything my device is connected to, and the device came from work, but I bought this at uh, the Apple store. Right. You They're know, all used in combination to prove my identity, for it's, sure. <laughs> it's it's yes. really uh, yeah. uh, quite extraordinary and a long way away from, hey, plug that into the phone jack, would you? <laughs> it is a long way, right? I, I guess what they say is that your uh, computing power on your iPhone is, is or phone or you know uh, Android is bigger than everything they had during the NASA program to put people on the moon. So uh, think about that in perspective. Uh, you know we're really moving faster than we ever thought we would. It, it, it's really true. So thank you very much for making time for us, Chuck. Fun talking with you. Always enjoy it. Hope we can have you back again. Oh, I'd love to come back. It's always a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think now we're going to move on and see who's uh, who's our startup stand-up this week. So thanks very much, Chuck. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi everyone, 
I'm Leonid, CTO and co-founder of Torque. Torque is an automation and orchestration platform for security and ops teams. A little bit about us to get you into the mood, and most of the time, I think I'll be just showing off the product. So we are two and a half years old, headquartered in Portland, Oregon, with offices on West Coast, East Coast, UK, Israel, and beginning our expansion to Far East. Um, the idea is, you know, we have been cybersecurity professionals for many years ourselves. Uh, some of us uh, have dealt with security operations, others with application security and more. And we know uh, that the world of security is filled with uh, events and interrupts. Now, I'm not only talking about responding to detections uh, brought in by some, um, you know, security products, EDRs, XDRs, SIEMs, but actually about many other things that require personal involvement as well. Vulnerability reports, maybe threat intel feeds, security posture findings, um, approvals for privilege escalation requests, and many, many more, right? Cybersecurity professionals today everywhere are bombarded with these events that they need to somehow take care of. Now, the challenge is, you know, as your um, organization becomes more hybrid, as it goes to the cloud, the variety and the intensity of these, it, it, it just keeps on growing. And what will you do about it? Will you keep on growing the you know amount of humans, people that handle them manually? This is obviously not a strategy that uh, can hold. Um, there are, of course, uh, automation tools today that security professionals can and do use. But the challenge that we hear about um, from many security professionals we talk to is that, you know, costs involved in using these automation tools, and as a result, velocity, amount of processes that get automated, the costs are high and the amount of processes is unfortunately remaining sufficiently low, leaving practitioners in a precarious situation where, you know, the events are growing, we cannot keep up automating at the same pace, maybe because we are concerned with some things, maybe because the tool is requiring too much cost. And this is exactly the reality for which we have built Torque. Torque, and I will start showing it in a moment, is a no-code automation and orchestration tool, purposefully designed for security practitioners, which means that it targets security use cases, it integrates with uh, security stack components, and it is built with the mindset of allowing our colleagues, the practitioners, to automate their processes. Let me move from slogans to actual presentation and start showing you the tool. Here we go. As Torque is an automation tool, the unit of measurement inside it is an automated process. We call that a workflow. The idea is that we would like to enable every security practitioner, no matter how senior or junior uh, that person may be, to express their workflows in a very intuitive way. Let us demonstrate this by building a, a real actual production-grade workflow together right now. Our workflow, just for the context, will handle uh, sensitive uh, permission assignments event. Somebody has been assigned sensitive permissions in our system. Naturally, we would like to investigate whether the assignment is legitimate or not and act upon it. So our workflow, or any workflow in essence, could run either on a scheduled basis. Think about use cases such as uh, 
every morning of a working week, we will check which um, endpoint devices have not been compliant and have been disconnected. Every quarter, we will perform an access audit for some sensitive resource and make sure that all the users are still active in the identity provider, etc., etc. On demand, hopefully I'll have some time to demonstrate it, think about tools, utilities that you can trigger from your most um, sort of like comfortable environment. If you're an organization running Slack, this could be triggered by slash commands in Slack. Same about Microsoft Teams, same about links from web. Think about utility processes that can accept any kind of arguments that you can trigger at any time to help you carry out certain tasks in a more efficient manner. And of course, we can connect the automated processes to external systems. Torque is an open platform. It could connect to any system that can raise a webhook, run a CLI, post messaging, Amazon SNS stopping, Google Publisher subscriber queue, Azure Event Grid, etc., etc. These tools you see mentioned here are merely templates that we have available, but it can connect to any tool that is not explicitly mentioned here. Uh, for this demonstration, remember, sensitive permissions assignment, we will use an identity provider, the one we use internally, Okta. So Okta is a great tool in addition to being identity provider. It also has built-in security mechanisms, allowing it to raise various security events, such as this one. In essence, every security event in a modern world comes with a sufficient amount of data and a slightly different structure. So identity um, events has some fields, um, cloud security posture, vulnerability, endpoint detection. They always come in different shape and form. And our goal is not necessarily to try and reshape them, but actually to provide useful and easy tools to manage them the way they are. So this event, as promised, is, as you can see, user account privilege grant. Somebody gave somebody else privileges. And the reason why we should, in my humble opinion, of course, care about this event is because the privileges that were granted in this case are very sensitive, super administrative. So first and foremost, we would like to define conditions for specific events that we care about. Very visually, we don't need to code, we don't need to be specialists in processing data structure. Here is the tree representation of that huge event I've shown before. Point and click. Event type should be user account privilege grant, done. Not just any privilege grant. Let us focus for this presentation just on super administrator privileges. How would we do that? It was mentioned somewhere in the data structure what are the exact privileges granted. Currently, I cannot see it visually, but I can look it up. Super, add, here we go, three levels deep, and we can add it. So privileges granted are super administrator. Now, after we have defined the conditions we care about, let's describe the process that would like to take place as a response. Um, first step would probably be enriching the events, right? First steps. I could use any, for example, threat intelligence solution. I will use here virus total, but it could be anything commercial or open one. And my goal would be now to take the IP address from which the assignment occurred and scan it through threat intel to receive some scores on it. So we would do it in a way very similar to picking data from um, the event itself. So somewhere in it is an IP address. Here we go, we just pick it and say, this is the data we would like to run through our threat intel. Now, we don't just design it in here, 
we also build our confidence because this is a very important piece of being able to deploy any automation, being confident in it. So I've just launched that threat Intel query for the IP address from the recent Opta event and received, quite frankly, a lot of data. The part of it that I really care about in order to continue is this, and it's the scores, right? How many engines thought it was a harmless address, malicious, suspicious, etc. Let's build some conditions. Let's say we would like to do something only if source IP was suspicious or malicious. So how do we do that? Same way as we manipulated the data structures before. In this case, we may even have shortcuts, right? If we are familiar with the structure. So I'll say, so if malicious is greater than two or uh, suspicious, and we'll pick it exactly the same way is greater than, I have no idea, let's say five, right? Then we would like to act. We would like to do something. One of the most challenging tasks in operations is to interact with people. So we will automate that away. We are a Slack organization. We could have been using Microsoft Teams or other communication means. And I would like now, as a part of our automated workflow, to reach out to the event actor, the person who performed the operation, and ask them, you have recently assigned super admin to, and we will now pick the target of the operation, the user that was assigned the permissions. Was this intentional, as an example? And the possible responses would be, yes, it was. Oh my God, I realized I did it, but it was a huge mistake. And uh, the most scary security-wise is, I don't know what you're talking about. I did not assign any permissions. Same way as I uh, did with a query to my threat intel feed, this interaction, I can also execute it and troubleshoot it live. Here we go in my Slack. I get this question, and let's provide the scary answer. Let's say that we did not do it. So that response becomes a part of our data inside this execution, just as any additional information was. And now we can continue building, let's say, the mitigation pattern based on this additional input. So if the actor does not uh, confirm, which means if the ask a question's response was didn't do it, we would like to do something. For example, we would like to suspend the illegitimate user account that has received administrative rights. So we will suspend the targets of the operation. Uh, furthermore, we may ask ourselves a question of, wait a second, how did the assignment even take place if the user says that they didn't do it? Potentially the credentials of the acting user are compromised and we would like to take the opportunity to kick off reset of their authentication factors. We may look up their machine in our device management tool and then perform a deeper investigation on this machine, um, isolating it from the network uh, for the time we are scanning it just to make sure that the machine is not compromised, etc., etc. So the paradigm here, and I think it becomes pretty obvious by now, is that we can create and express sequences of security operations with thousands of out-of-the-box predefined uh, steps for most common 
actions, most common systems to interact with. But this is not all. What is important is, as I mentioned, everything could be a trigger. Everything could be a trigger for such an operation. Uh, for example, we can envision an automation doing something completely different, such as, uh, for example, two colleagues interacting uh, as a part of their investigation and me saying, uh, Sarah, let's say that this is the name of my colleague, uh, did you see the suspicious logins from 34, 56, 78, 12? And I will add, Pork as mentioning, putting this message to Sarah that she can now see and work on via trigger. So now we could build another workflow that I have built out in my environment that enriches the information. For example, it will take now the IP address, scan it automatically, suggest to Sarah and myself how we could uh, handle it and so on. So here we go, the workflow is actually running and I'm getting messages. Uh, the IP address was scanned, uh, deemed as harmless, uh, but still, if needed, I could take remediative action and add it to a, let's say, 30 minutes penalty box, as I just did. To sum up what we have just seen, Torque is a very extensible, absolutely open platform using which every security professional can express their unique workflows, can share them, can collaborate with the team members. Uh, and these workflows can either be fully automated, connected to some external triggers, human in the loop, involving communication and waiting for human response, or even manually triggered and used as utilities. Building of production workflow, as you have seen, can take mere minutes. And of course, it is something that can keep on evolving, become more complicated if needed. We will be happy to respond to any additional questions and of course provide additional scenarios in which such workflows are very useful. Um, you can visit our site at torque.io for more inspirational ideas. Thank you.